Hey y'all, you're listening to episode 37 of Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz and I'm your host. I recently graduated with a master's degree in climate science and solutions. And Eco Chic is a really fun place to talk about things like general climate change education or personal sustainability efforts. Things that are not necessarily common knowledge, but totally, totally should be. This episode is coming out on a Thursday, which is not per our normal recording schedule. Normally, episodes of Eco Chic come out on Tuesdays, and we switched up the schedule a little bit for the holidays, but next week we will be back to Tuesday releases of episodes. And before I get into today's episode, I want to thank everyone who helped me out on Instagram stories. I had some polls recently asking people what they're looking for in the new year from Eco Chic. I'm really looking forward to dedicating a lot more time to the podcast and creating more content and just making sure that I am giving you everything you need and what you want to learn about when it comes to climate change and sustainability. So if you have any ideas or any suggestions or anything that you would really, really like to hear on the podcast, I would love to hear from you. So please go ahead and send me either a DM on Instagram. So you can email me at, um, I'm sorry, you can DM me at Eco Chic Podcast, or you can DM me on my personal page at Laura E. Diaz, D-I-E-Z. And then you can also send me an email via my website, lauraediaz.com. And that again is D-I-E-Z. So I'm really, really looking forward to this new year. And I want to thank everyone so much for all of the support and good vibes that I've received in the last year of podcasting. So Eco Chic launched in April and we are almost at 50 episodes, which is so, so exciting. I know we're a little bit far behind. I know I said today was 37, but I'm just so excited because I feel like the milestone of 50 is like right, right there. Um, and I feel like getting to that 50 will be really exciting because I have so much fun stuff planned, but I want to know what you want. And I would love to grow and make sure that um, this podcast is a really helpful resource because the only reason I can do this is because y'all care about it. So again, I'm so, so thankful and I'm looking forward to hearing any of your suggestions. Today's episode of Eco Chic is in reference to a current event, and that is the current government shutdown. So the government, as of the release of this episode on Thursday, will be shut down for almost two weeks. And that's pretty significant. It's a pretty long time. And a lot of the controversy around the government shutdown comes with the border wall that President Trump has proposed. So the border wall was a campaign promised by President Trump, and that's kind of where the issues of the government shutdown right now are stemming from. There are, of course, a lot of other topics on the table for the U.S. government, but I would really like to talk about the border wall today because it is such a hot topic and kind of a controversial one. So I would like to say that Eco Chic is not a political podcast by any means, so I'm sure it's not like terribly difficult to figure out what my political affiliation is but um, I'm really just looking to present facts in a really reasonable way. So the reason that I would like to talk about the border wall is because I don't think that we are, as a country, considering how the immigration policies are really affecting other things in our environmental policies. So I think that this is a really important conversation to have. I did quite a bit of research during the last government shutdown where we also were talking very seriously about a border wall and funding a wall between the US and Mexico. Um, and then I also did quite a bit of research a couple months ago on the greenhouse gas emissions that would be associated with a border wall. So I have um, quite a bit of information to present today, and that will be coming from basically two different parts. So I want to talk about migration, not necessarily just of people, but also of animals, which I don't think that we are considering very seriously. And then I also want to talk about the associated emissions. But again, this is not a political place. This should not be a partisan issue but I'm really excited to be opening up this conversation because I think it's a lot of fun. 
So before we get into the environmental implications of a U.S.-Mexico border wall, I first want to like set the scene and kind of let you guys know what the current situation is when it comes to the U.S.-Mexico border. The U.S. and Mexico share about 1,900 miles of their border, and currently 650 of those miles are fenced under President George W. Bush's 2006 Secure Fence Act. So um, most of that fence is actually just exactly what you're thinking of, like a wire fence. It's not anything super elaborate. President Trump is proposing another 700 to 900 miles of the border, and construction of prototype walls was actually completed in October of 2017 along the border of San Diego and Mexico. So that's a little interesting to consider. Something that we should also consider is the monetary implications of this. So President Trump's 2018 budget proposal estimated the cost of this 700 to 900 mile of border wall will cost about $24.5 million per mile. So that means in total, we're looking at somewhere between 17 and 22 billion in total costs. This budget proposal, of course, does not account for any of the greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with this, quote, huge, beautiful wall. So I set out to make a conservative estimate of the greenhouse gas emissions that would be produced by such a significant project. Before I get into math and talking about animals, I would first like to acknowledge a study that I came across, which I think is really, really interesting by a group, um, McCallum et al. It was published in 2014. And this group surveyed four protected areas along the Arizona and Mexico border to assess how different barrier treatments, so that's like fence height, passability of these effects, et cetera, affected both animal and human movements between the borders. So it was actually found that human presence was consistent among all border types. So that means that even if we have certain barriers that are affecting wildlife, like animals and plants, they are not impending humans. So that means the likelihood of this border wall actually significantly impacting illegal immigration between the US and Mexico is highly, highly unlikely. So we're looking at an immense cost of this wall, so both financially and environmentally, and it's probably not going to actually serve its purpose. So like I said earlier, there were eight prototype walls that were built in San Diego, and those were built between 18 to 30 feet high. Basically, the prototypes were trying to establish the ideal height of this U.S.-Mexico border wall. So I'm assuming the average height of the wall would be 24 feet high. So that's just between that 18 and 30 feet prototype height. So there was no information given on the thickness of these prototype walls. So I assumed there would be about a foot of thickness. And I also assumed that the prototype walls were constructed from concrete and then steel rebar inside. So it has been calculated that the U.S.-Mexico border wall, just assuming, let's say, 800 miles, so I'm saying President Trump estimates 700 to 900 miles, if we are doing conservatively 800 miles, so right in that middle range of these prototype walls, we are looking at 101,376,000 cubic feet of concrete. So a hell of a lot of concrete. That's pretty, pretty wild. So we also have to think about getting these materials to the border. In Southern California, our largest concrete plant within a reasonable driving distance of the U.S.-Mexico border is about seven miles in San Diego from the border. So the most efficient financial option for the federal government should theoretically be to contract out concrete production to different facilities along the border. So I'm assuming, let's say, 50 miles within border wall construction will be allotted to a particular concrete facility. So this is obviously like super, super optimistic, and I feel like 50 miles is conservative realistically, the U.S. government is not going to have a ton of contracts within 
the U.S.-Mexico border just looking for nearby concrete facilities. So um, please make sure that you realize that my estimations are really taken with a grain of salt. I'm assuming that the U.S. is going to do the best they can to conserve greenhouse gas emissions, but um, we kind of know that that's not the deal. So if we're assuming that concrete is being transported round trip at about 100 miles round trip, again, 50 mile average concrete facility delivery, um, concrete trucks actually only receive about eight miles per gallon per trip, which is pretty, pretty sad. Um, so think about those big concrete mixing trucks, they only receive eight miles per gallon. So there's huge emissions associated with just delivering that concrete to the border. So by that estimation, within all of the concrete that I'm assuming that we're gonna need based on the prototype walls and everything, we are looking at about 1,302,649 metric tons of emissions, of CO2 emissions associated with just the transport of the concrete. So like I said earlier, in addition to the concrete, we are going to need some steel rebar to hold these walls up. So I'm kind of thinking about the same thing, 800 miles, we're looking at steel plants that are about, again, 50 miles in distance. And these trucks are also only transporting eight miles per gallon, but they can hold a larger volume of steel. And the steel rebar required to support the border wall would result in the CO2 equivalent of 19,274 metric tons of CO2. So again, really, really significant. Not as significant as the concrete, but we're talking about tons here. We're not talking pounds. So they say one elephant is equal to about a ton. So the concrete alone would be 1.3 million elephants. That's pretty significant. So my calculations do not consider the longer term emissions. We're calling these scope three emissions from things like the commutes of the construction workers or emissions from incoming materials that are not mentioned. I'm not considering the emissions from the concrete facilities that are needed to produce such a significant higher volume of concrete, of steel rebar. I'm not considering any vehicles that are not um, the transport vehicles of these things. I'm just considering the steel and the concrete themselves. So all in all, we are looking at conservatively at least 1,321,924 metric tons of CO2 equivalents just to produce this 800 mile US-Mexico border wall. On average, the US emits about 6,800 million metric tons of CO2 every single year. So that's considering all of our consumer habits, everybody's scope one and two emissions. So that's just like your driving habits, your everyday diet, things of the sort. So the US construction of this border wall would actually account for an increase of 1.5% of those annual emissions. So 1.5% doesn't sound like a lot, but let's think about the scale at which we are discussing. We're talking about an entire consumerist country I'm not sure if consumer is a word, but you know exactly what I mean. Like we consume a lot that contributes to our greenhouse gas emissions as a U.S., but as our entire country every single year, an increase of 1.5% of those greenhouse gas emissions is pretty significant. Now, I hope that wasn't too overwhelming because it's really crazy to me to think about the greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with building this wall, again, very conservatively. I want to touch on who this border wall is actually going to affect. Because like I said earlier, I found this really interesting study, McCallum et al. 2014 published, and I of course will have it linked down below if you're interested in getting into it. But this study found that humans are not significantly deterred from crossing the US-Mexico border illegally, depending on various fence lengths, passability, etc. A border wall really does not make a difference when it comes to illegal immigration rates, I suppose. 
but the study did find that it did significantly decrease animal migration between the two countries when you put up any sort of border wall. So that's pretty important to think about. So something that I do want to point out is that, dig this, there are over 50 species within just 50 kilometers of the U.S.-Mexico border that are considered threatened or endangered by the EPA. So a pretty significant portion of the endangered species list actually is on this. There's only, I want to say about 150 like top priority animals at a time. So for 50 threatened or endangered species to be living in such close proximity to the U.S.-Mexico border, it's pretty important to think about their migration habits. So first, why do animals migrate? There are actually a lot of reasons why animals migrate, but think about how seasons change, climate change is changing, animals are migrating to maintain an ideal temperature for their living condition. So just the same way that birds fly south in the winter, we have jaguars and bobcats that are moving north during the summertime between Mexico and the US. And just as their winter homes are getting warmer, they're looking for a more stable climate. Animals also leave their home territories between breeding seasons. So it is especially hard for small populations to find suitable mates. So this again would be like jaguars are really just in a very small population number between the US and Mexico. I believe there's only seven males and only one of them has ever been known to transport into Arizona, which is pretty significant always during the mating season. So for animals that have smaller populations, it's really hard for them to find suitable mates and migration ranges can really help them maintain their populations. And a lot of the time that is just easier reach into the Southern US. So does it make sense for our current government to construct the border wall? So let's completely forget about illegal human immigration. Research does show that barriers in general, just like border walls, but also just thinking about large barricades of any kind, negatively impact wildlife, especially when it comes to migration. So can this border wall be constructed and possibly allow animals to succeed? Let's assume this border wall is going to be constructed as promised, like totally impermeable, little to no openings between coast to coast of the US. So in theory, migratory animals could be trucked. That's one option between the border in order to maintain gene flow, habitat preferences, things of the sort. Um, like we talked earlier, how do we maintain those efficient temperatures? How do we make sure that mates are um, breeding correctly during the mating season? So one option is for the US to fund trucking of these animals, just migrating them physically. Um, a more doable, of course, would be to leave large areas of the border unfenced for the sake of animal movement. So to fulfill the purpose of preventing human passage, this option could require funding of a drone or virtual monitoring in these areas. So that's definitely something that the government could consider. This is currently in practice in places like Southern Arizona. Border guards are stationed nearby and literally go after human migrants when they are spotted on virtual monitoring systems. And then this sit and wait method is actually found to be relatively effective for catching illegal immigration. Um, in my humble and personal opinion, open areas with monitoring are the best option when considering the implementation costs of just all of our other options. So like trucking would have to be funded very long term. Think about the amount of trucks, the amount of people that are required to go out and find these animals to begin with and then finding them afterwards. It's just not really super reasonable. So it makes a lot more sense to just leave open areas and then virtually monitor them. So that's currently in place. And for some reason, the Trump administration is pushing to close off those openings when it comes to animal migration. They're not actually very significant passages for human migration in general. And like I said, this sit and wait method of border guards just watching these on cameras nearby are a lot more effective than people would realize. 
So the border wall closing off animal migration could actually affect a ton of animals, a lot of them that you probably hold near and dear to your heart, charismatic species. So the peccary, so the fuzzy pigs, um, the nine-banded armadillo needs the U.S.-Mexico to breed between Texas earless lizards, Texas horn lizards, different kinds of salamanders, and then also the most charismatic animals are mountain lions and little jaguars, bobcats, ocelots, all of these need the U.S.-Mexico border wall to migrate between seasons and to find suitable partners. So a pretty significant portion of animals that we all care about are going to be negatively affected and probably humans will not be affected. So really a lot of things to consider here. I know this episode threw a lot of facts at you and I hope that you were able to keep up. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and let me know because I think that this is a lot of fun just picking apart political issues. Again, not in a necessarily political way, but I really like the analysis aspect of these kinds of solo episodes. So let me know if you like them. At the end of every episode of Eco Chic, I like to answer a question that I've received either via DM or in real life or on my email. And I think that today I would rather ask y'all a question. So a lot of the questions I got this week were things like, how do you make overnight oats? What do we do about recycling wrapping paper? Things of the sort when it comes to holiday season. So things that we've answered before at the ends of the podcast, all really important questions and I appreciate getting them all. But today I would rather ask y'all a question. I would like to know what you want from this podcast in the new year. I'm really, really excited about 2019 when it comes to eco chic It's going to be so much fun for me. I have really great plans, high hopes. Um, I hope to consider interacting with y'all either on Instagram or via email or however it is that you like to interact with your particular podcast. But I have a lot of fun stuff planned and a lot of things that I'm hoping for. But I want to know what you want because at the end of the day, this podcast does not exist without listeners and without people who like really care about sustainability and climate change. So please let me know what your ideal episode of Eco Chic would be. Let me know who your favorite guest from last year might have been. Let me know what you're looking for. Let me know what you want more of or something a little bit different. I'm really excited to hear all of your ideas. So that is all I have for today. Again, my name is Laura. Thank you so, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Eco Chic, please go ahead and give it a like or a rating or a review, whatever it is on your preferred listening platform. It really, really supports the podcast, helps me so much figure out what you like, what you care about. And it's the best way to get the word out about Eco Chic and keep growing our community. So thank you again so much for listening and I hope you have a great day. I'll see you next week.